Hi, everyone. This is Never Mind the Gap, a podcast that explores the gaps between where we are in life and where we think we should be. And what are the tools and techniques to bridge these gaps? I'm Lindsay Hanari, MBA, Talent Development and Performance Consultant, and an ICF Professional Certified Coach. And I'm Carmen Kadir, Doctor Scientist by Training, but a Healthcare Consultant and Leadership Board Certified Coach. So the introduction to our topic today is actually really interesting because we're going to explore the generation gap and the real and perceived generational differences in work ethic and some tools to approach these differences. Yeah, and I would say the goal for this podcast is just to create some understanding and you know how you can leverage your own skills and abilities um, because we think that we're deficient but in reality, if we understand how others receive and communicate information, we can use that to our advantage so that we can create that understanding across the generations. So I did some research on this and I am going back to a mentor of mine, Jamie Boleyn. You can find her in the show notes. She wrote a great book called The Care and Feeding of Your Young Employees. And I think it came out about, I don't know, seven or 10 years ago. So I think some of the greatest generation might be less present in the workforce than when she did, but she mentioned that we're in this really unique time where we have five generations in the workforce at the same time. We've got the greatest generation or the silent generation. They were the silent sufferers, job for life. Uh, company took care of you. Uh, We've got the boomers. They created the current paradigm and they decided to turn over uh, a lot of the establishment from the greatest generation. But again, they also are conditioned to jobs for life. Then there's my generation, Gen X. We're very independent, hardworking, head down, And I heard this terminology once that we're the Prince Charles generation in that the queen or the boomers or the greatest generation will never step down, but Prince William, super popular, um, or the millennials are at our heels and we never got a chance to step into leadership roles. Then you've got the millennials. They're the tech generation um, and they look for affirmation and growth and they want to work with you. There's not just a job, it's almost like an identity with the company. And then there's Gen Z, which my own daughter's a part of. It's just text me and you know they don't just fix it, they create it. They'll create a solution. They literally speak a different language, um, emojis, eye rolls, TikTok dances. And I think by mentioning that, you know, we can use the lens for each generation to really try and understand how we communicate what we expect them to take from us and what we expect from them and how the job market and way of working has changed. So I really love what you just explained and you know there's various characteristics so there's this wonderful and we'll put this in the notes there's this wonderful sort of schematic that um, Sync, Cap, Trust, and Co. Um, but it was behind bridging the financial generation gap. 
And what they mentioned on here was the various characteristics of how this impacts perhaps in the workplace. And so to Lindsay's point, you know, some of the baby boomers, for example, are the workaholics, but their, their pref preferred way of communicating is the telephone. Um, or communication media is the telephone. Their preference, though, is either face-to-face -face or, again, picking up the telephone, emailing if required, which I think is, is probably pretty accurate. The Gen X is, you know, the work-life balance. That's their career attitude. Um, and that's the first time that we actually see that, a little bit of the work-life balance that's even brought up. And as coaches, we talk about this all the time. Um, how can you create an environment in the workplace where it fits for you professionally, but at the same time, it gives you that opportunity to do the things that you love at home. Um, and then at that generation, they started getting into the emailing, the text messaging, and that's their preferred uh, communication method. For millennials, which I'm sort of at the cusp of that, like right at the end of that, um, our career attitude is we work with and and we work with and not for the company. Uh, so again, texting and social media is our communication um, media, and so the social media comes in at that point. And I actually do remember this, Lindsay, when it first started surfacing, and I was a very young adult. So another layer of how you engage and interact with people, which makes it really interesting. I remember going, I will never text somebody. I will send them an email or I will call them. And now calls just go to voicemail and you text someone, hey, call me. Right. And then not only that, the way that you communicate with people on Facebook, right, or on Twitter. I mean, you're sending them, you know, this is how people communicate. Childhood friends, if you think about this, um, college friends, you know, that you haven't seen in decades, that's a good way to keep in touch. And so this is what the millennials are so used to using. And of course, their preferred method is online, so social media interaction and texting. The Gen Z, I find them really fascinating. Um, I know that's your daughter's generation. It's fascinating because they're career multitaskers and they are. They're all about handheld devices, came in, smartphones. Um, they understand the value of that and how you can get a lot done on your iPhone, on your Android phone, and all the apps and then the value that each app brings so that you can make your life perhaps a little bit more easier, get things done a little bit more quicker. FaceTime, they're not camera shy at all. Like mm -mm. you brought up the TikTok, the FaceTime, they actually really love to be present somehow and in the moment. But not in front of you. Correct. It's hilarious. That, but, de that definitely is correct. Yeah, but I, I think it creates a lot of, you know, it almost goes back to the communication gap, preferred methodologies of communication, but also what to include. Um, so the question is, what motivates them? It might be different than yours, and it doesn't mean that it's wrong. I think that culture also factors in, you know, how we address our elders. Do you look them in the eye? Is it keep your head down and blend in? That's not just generational. That can be cultural as well. And then, you know, the hierarchies. There's the military hierarchy. There's the medical healthcare hierarchy, mm -hmm. which I know you have a lot to say about. Mm -hmm. uh, corporate hierarchies are changing. There's the formal and the informal. So why don't we take a step back and look at this as, you know, maybe using your experience in healthcare as an extreme, but I think it touches on a lot of the issues that we see communicating between and across generations. 
In healthcare, it's it's actually an interesting um, setting because it's a lot of very alpha dominant individuals. So they're very used to having the responses to everything. I mean, if you think about it, these are the people that are at the patient bedside and they they have to be solving these problems fairly quickly. I mean, someone comes in and they have a chronic ailment or even an acute ailment. And so first is to come up with the correct diagnosis. And then how do you treat these individuals so that, you know, what their prognosis will be? You know, will they continue to be on medications? Is this something that's going to resolve? So they're used to having answers all the time. And, um, and I think that that's part of the dynamic too. So when you throw in there these multi-generational employees that are also all still, you know, type A personalities, it can become a little bit challenging in the sense that they're not going to embrace each other's communication method, for example. They're not gonna you know, in, embrace how they approach even simple things like patient care. Some of the younger physicians may decide, let me give the family a phone call. You know, Those <laughs> that have been in healthcare for a long time, they will actually go find the family um, in the patient rooms. And I'm not saying this happens all the time, but there's different approaches to even how they communicate with patients and their families. And so there's a lot of discord in terms of that. How do we continue to provide and continue to provide high quality patient care um, to those that are ill and their family members that are with them in a way that is somewhat cohesive and still, you know, there's a standardized process in place and we're not sacrificing that quality of care. Yeah, I think healthcare and um, I'm going to take it back to some of my work in certain types of oil and gas or even uh, the space industry. And I mention this because we live in an area where we literally have cancer researchers on the cutting edge of life-saving technology and rocket scientists. Uh, I like to joke that my husband and I are the dumbest people on the block because we only have MBAs. And when we make a mistake, people don't die. Things don't explode. and. When I look at healthcare and the pressure on healthcare professionals, whether you're in administration or you're on the front lines, whether as a physician, uh, a nurse, a PA, any type of caregiver, um, it's somebody's life and suffering. Mm -hmm. it, the cost of being wrong um, can lead to some significant legal mm -hmm. repercussions as well as just you know the personal devastation that one might feel. So I think there's a lot riding on it. And for whatever reason, they've really, really held on to this very hierarchical, I'm the senior, what I say is law and goes, but medicine has changed so much. I see it with my father, who's a retired surgeon who came from the boomer generation and the massive changes in medicine, and my brother, who's a millennial, and he is in ER, but the administrative burdens, the, the technology burdens, the way healthcare has become corporatized in a business, I think there's so many pressures on healthcare providers that we're just not even aware of, that the last thing in the world they have bandwidth for is to think about these generational differences in motivation and communication style. And I think that can be a source of a lot of conflict in the healthcare workplace. I definitely agree with you. I mean, you actually said it 
really, really well, and you summarize it really well because that is what's essentially going on. There, it's multifactorial, you know, elements in play, um, and and on top of that, if they're part of an academic medical center, they have to keep up with the research and they have to get, you know, continue to get funding um, to support their research. Some of them are in positions where they're mentoring and training the residents, like you had brought up and, and the fellows. So there's a lot going on day to day that they have to deal with. And I think it's challenging for them to think, well, how are we communicating now? Or, you know, even amongst themselves, you know, you want us to have this ground rounds, but you want us to do this specific type of presentation um, and upload, you know, different types of like slides from specimens, that kind of thing. Uh, so that we can present the case and there's like visual to what we're talking about in the room. So even their their meetings, their team trainings, I mean, there's a lot of uh, challenges there on how to carry those out. So there's actually this, there's many articles, by the way, and I, I was looking through this and doing research for this whole week, and there's many articles on multi-generational teams because this obviously seems to be something that's being talked about a lot. Um, and generationally diverse workforce actually are, I, I think it's, it's a plus. It's, there's a lot of opportunities there. And they talk about, um, so the first thing is to challenge harmful stereotypes. So that's one of the, the steps in terms of how to manage multi-generational uh, teams. So in this particular case, you know, if there's some specific you know, if, if someone's displaying a specific type of um, generational stereo, false stereotype or a clickbait headline or that type of thing related to the work, you know, to actually challenge it and say, you know, I don't, we would not like to assign negative or overarching like characteristics to what you're presenting. Um, you know, there has to be value in how we're educating ourselves and the realities between how we're you know, displaying some of the work uh, without actually having biases to it. Uh, the second one is to communicate your preference openly. So to actually say, I really don't understand that process. You know, I'm not well versed in that. I've, I have not been trained in that. And I prefer to work with this type of instrument. However, you know, if, if everyone is set on utilizing this new type of model or instrument, you know, there has to be some training around it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll take a step back and just take it out of the medical care. I mean, a lot of the coaching that I do is let people know how you prefer to receive information and how you give information. Because I think what that does, that reduces a lot of the inherent tension in what our intent is and how that's perceived as behavior from others. So someone who's, you know, just quick bullet points, not a lot of context, oh my God, they hate me, right? or someone who gives a ton of context and people roll their eyes. That was too long. <laughs> that was too long, exactly. So it's, you need to give people guidance. Hey, three bullet points, main point, I'll ask for, you know, details can come in the question or let people know, hey, I need a minute to process and think. It doesn't mean that I don't have a reaction. It's just mm -hmm. how my brain works. Mm -hmm. You know, letting people know how you think, how you receive information, or tell them how you want them to give the information. I, I completely agree. The third one is my favorite one, is respecting boundaries. Mm. You know, because I think that's one of the biggest challenges is that 
people are so quick and very impulsive to just shoot things down and be like, I don't like that. You know, that that's not the right way to do it. Again, going back to the type A personalities, you know, that's not going to, what's going to create the best outcome for this. So we need to respect boundaries. And like it says in this article, you know, it's not necessary for every person to agree, but it's important for them to understand why the organization or individuals place specific high value on the way that they're doing things, you know, and processes and specific issues that are being discussed. So I think respecting boundaries is really important so that this multi-generational team can function as one. Um, and again, th these articles will definitely put in our resources section of our podcast. This one was written by Emma Waldman for Harvest Business Review. You know, when we were chatting before this, you also mentioned something called reverse mentorships. Do you want to talk about that? Right. So this was something that was, you know, put together by um, Heidi Gardner and Denise Robertson, actually in December of 2022. So very recently, and it was around strategies to bridge generational divides at work. And one of them was um, to actually launch and sustain a reverse mentoring program, which I've never really even had thought about that before. I think that's really neat. And it's allowing you to forge those strong ties between those of multi-generational categories. And by doing that is, let's say you're gonna put a junior or younger faculty member to mentor a more senior faculty member. But in this way, I think both sides are learning, right? The junior faculty member is sort of displaying their strengths and capabilities and skills to the more senior person that may be potentially lacking some of it if it's around technology. Oh my God, technology. Can you imagine? Well, th that'll be a topic for another <laughs> podcast. Uh, both Carmen and I have a lot to say about that. But think about that. Maybe the strength of having, you know, three to four decades of experience, but there's a new electronic record system yep. or a new computer system or a new app and how frustrating that is. Think about those bonds, I wouldn't say, maybe some goodwill mm -hmm. that gets passed down if a, a younger employee can mentor um, a more senior one on the technology side. And, and I, I think to your point too, the, the more senior member is actually gaining knowledge that they probably would not have had that type of hands-on training anywhere else. Because of the time, because of time constraint, right? They're so busy working and having to be somewhere that they don't have free time to get with IT, or mm -hmm. you know, and you know, IT is sometimes in a different building in a different location. So, what better than to have someone on your team who's younger and maybe more junior, but that can help you sort of solidify some of these skills around, let's say, technology that you may not be that well versed in. So, I think this. Launching and sustaining a reverse mentoring program is, is pretty incredible. And I think that this could help create that more cohesive team where the culture of the team, you know, is, is kind to one another. They're respecting boundaries. Um, and and they're, not, they're not looking at each other as if there's a threat or there's this gap uh, between how we operate and how we look at the workflow process, how we engage patients, if they're on the administrative side, uh, you know, the operational preferences, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, as usual, we could talk for hours on this and the goal of this podcast is to bring up an idea, present some 
tools and resources. And then it's up to y'all to decide what you want to do with it, right? Um, but my takeaway from today is I think if we just take the time to figure out how we communicate, how we expect to be communicated with, and letting other people know, and to really be cognizant you know, of how the job market and the way of working has changed, just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's going to change back. I love how you just said that. That's definitely, you know, there's a lot of value to that, and it's true, it's not. So how can, you know, the take for me is how can everyone embrace maybe some more advanced level type of operations in the workplace that could add value to who they are as a professional and to the organization. And at the same time, you're connecting a little bit more too with those that are potentially from a different generation and have different types of um, communication preferences or even, you know, career attitudes, but you know, you're working more as one team you're more in sync. And so I think that it, it's important to, you know, work across the, the aisle and be able to do that and, and to work with one another more closely. Well, thanks for that. And Carmen, why don't you remind our listeners where they can find us? Yes. Yeah, so we love having you guys follow us. Um, Nevermind the Gap is on all of your favorite platforms. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Really, we'd love for you guys to hear us on your way to work in the morning, you know, during your lunch break, even when you're potentially doing a mindful walk in the evening. So we're there for you every two weeks. And we're going to keep having these rich discussions, Lindsay and I, and, and just talking to you guys about what we think, you know, is of value in the workplace as coaches and consultants. And of course, we always put our information at the bottom of our podcast summary so you can find our email address there and our website so please feel free to reach out until next time y'all